Hello and welcome to this week's JersNet podcast. So, in a season characterised by low points, Rangers plumb new depths with an embarrassing 5-0 defeat at Celtic Park. As usual, we'll be dissecting the match, looking at all the main talking points, asking where it all went wrong and desperately searching for any positives from an appalling afternoon's work. Then, we're going to move into more optimistic ground, with strong reports suggesting that our managerial search is finally over. We'll ask if Steven Gerrard is the Scouse saviour or an unnecessary risk by a board under pressure. My name's Ross Bennett and I'll be your Jersnet podcast host this week. And joining me on the pod, we've got David Fraser and Jersnet Commander-in-Chief Stuart Franklin. Gents, how are we feeling after that? Well, pretty low, Ross, to say the least. Just another um, another bad day at the office for for the team and the manager. Yeah, I think uh, David summed that up there. It's it's difficult to be uh, very positive or feel very good this evening, unfortunately. And maybe that's the problem with us recording this on a on a Sunday night. By the time it's uh, you guys are hearing us, you might have uh, gotten over it a wee bit, but it's still very, very raw, very tender for us this evening. But right, let's dive straight into it and, and let's go over the wreckage of that game. Right, Stuart, Murty put out a team that was perhaps different in personnel with, with Jack Anik in goal, Cummings up top and, and Andrew Halliday back at left-back. But the setup and the structure was kind of trademark Graham Murty. What did uh, what did you make of the team selection today? I don't think I could argue with the team that much, to be honest, or the setup. I mean, I wrote the, the Jersey preview this week and I think, um, and I said, it was most likely that we were going to, to go back to the, the 4 2 3 one compared to the formation that we deployed at the game at Hamden. And so it wasn't a surprise to see the team. I, I wasn't convinced by starting with Cummins, but I can understand the reasoning behind it. Obviously, Halliday came in for the injured Declan John. And, and to be to be honest, as I said, I, I didn't really argue with the team, the starting lineup. And But it's just the way that the, the lads started the game and, and, and went through the match. It just didn't work. I mean, I don't think any formation would have helped uh, the first 10 or 15 minutes especially I mean Celtic started very well I think I have to give them a bit of credit they really did blow us away but to be fair we didn't concede anything at that point yeah, honestly it was watching school kids the way we were um, trying to close them down and press them I think we all wanted that after the game at Hamden but yeah, there has to be a discipline in how you do it and you have to be able to time the closing down right and, and we were just doing it all wrong. There was, it was like honestly, it was like young lads under tens all chasing the ball, and then leaving other other Celtic players unmarked. And to be honest, they were cutting through us at will for uh, long periods of the game because of that. Yeah, no, I know. I I see what you're saying, and and I read actually, I read your uh, your preview before the game and and saw that. David Frankie says there that you know he doesn't necessarily disagree with how the the team was picked or or the the formation of the team and the structure of it, but. We watched that Celtic side destroy us 4-0 a couple of weeks back and, you know, they dominated us in midfield. So was it a bit naive or predictable what was going to happen going with a two-man midfield again? Were we were we doomed from the start and were we always going to be overrunning midfield when we went with two men there? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's pretty self-evident that the two men in the middle of the park, you're going to leave yourself open to, to being exposed. But um, I think the, the, the players... I've obviously they've been used to playing that system, Ross, uh, and 
mean, I'm afraid I'll repeat myself here, but when you've got players that are as limited as the Rangers players tend to be, um, trying to um, incorporate a new tactic into their thinking um, is pretty difficult to achieve. And you've seen that at the, the Cup semi at Hamden, where they, um, they tried to, to, to adopt a three-man uh, midfield and they couldn't get to grips with it. Um, but having said that, uh, I think you've got to acknowledge that Celtic are better players. Um, they're certainly better coached. And hand in heart, I think that, you know, with, with the best will in the world, I think you, you could have flooded the, the middle of the park with, with six guys today. I, I just think that, that the Celtic players and manager are in the, the Rangers' collective psyche. And uh, I think you've seen there today um, that we're fighting an uphill battle right from the, the first whistle. And uh, as Stuart says there, I mean, they, they, they did quite well to hold out, but it was really, it was, it was backs to the wall. And when the first goal went in, I think it was just a case of, you know, how many could this possibly be? To be fair, um, after they scored the first goal, we came into the game a wee bit. And, I mean, Holt had a, a half-decent chance. It went clean through, a decent strike. I mean, Gordon probably could have threw his hat in it. He made a good save. Um, and then, I think, what was it, Windass? It got slipped into the channel. And I think if he'd cut it back earlier, I think Cummins had a, a, an open goal at the back post. And at that point, the game would have been one all. And I would have liked to have seen how Celtic would have reacted to that. But just as you thought we were going to get into half-time, one nil, and you're thinking, let's try and reorganise, come back out and have a go at them. Second half, we just gave them two dreadful goals. I mean, both goals, I think it was Graham Dorans that gave the ball away in the middle of the park. And I mean, Dorans, as when it came from um, the higher leagues and English uh, divisions, and you're expecting a lot more out of him in these games. And today, I mean, it's not fair to single anybody out, but he was utterly, utterly atrocious. He gave the ball away time after time. And as I say, he cost the, the second and third goals. And you, as much as we're, all, we're going to go on and have a go at Marty and other players, you, as a manager, you just can't account for individual mistakes like that. It's completely unacceptable. And to be honest, it's inexplicable when it comes to somebody like Doran, who's, who's been there and done it against the very best teams. I think you're right. It's, it's, it's harsh to single out players on most occasions, but we almost kind of wouldn't be doing our duty here on this podcast if we didn't take a look at some of the individual performances that were put in today and, and ask serious questions. And the, the the obvious starting point actually there is Graham Dorans because you're right, you know, he's he's been there in the Premier League and down in England and he's he's done it. He's played against some of the biggest teams, but he wasn't the only shocking performer out there today. I thought that, that Tav had one of his worst games in a Rangers shirt and there was a sort of 20 or 30 minute period where he couldn't, he couldn't make a two-yard pass. He couldn't control a ball. It was pinging off him like a bouncy ball. Um, David, you made you made a point there about you mentioned the, the the psyche of these players, and and we've seen a number of times now that the players seem to bottle it and crumble under the pressure of playing against Celtic. Like we said, Dorans was appalling. Tav was appalling. McCrory and Martin were run ragged in the centre of defence. Is it that these players don't have the bottle for the big games, or is it more of a general question of consistency um, it's difficult to put your you know put your finger on one single thing Ross um, it's a combination of factors you've got um, you've got players that um, again I'm repeating myself here are limiting ability um, if you, well, let me get through the through the the side one by one you've got Jack Anik making his, his, his old firm debut um, he's not played a lot of football since he's came to Rangers Um You've got James Tavernier at right back. I concur with you. He's, he 
probably one of his worst games in a Rangers shirt for, for quite a while. Then moving into the, the centre of defence, you would Ross McCrory, and I think he's seen, you know, leaving aside the fact that he may not be 100% fit, um, I think he's seen his inexperience there today with um, how he, his distribution with the ball and, and some of his, his, um, his judgment in terms of making tackles. Then you, you Russell Martin, I'm not going to you know, labour a point with Russell Martin. In my opinion, he shouldn't be anywhere near a Rangers jersey. Um, Andy Halliday obviously dropped in at the deep end with Declan John breaking his wrist. So, um, again, I think this task for the boy. Yeah, he's not a natural defender, but he, he, he tried. Um, but ultimately, he's not good enough. Then you move into the middle of the park. Stuart's, you know, mentioned there Graham Dorans. I mean, Graham Dorans signed for the club, and um, I think a lot of Rangers fans expected a lot of the, the boy, given where he'd been previously. But I, I've been watching uh, the English Championship, and uh, you know, people seem to think that that, that, that Graham's, you know, should be a further forward in the team. You know, a number ten. The, the, the guy's legs have gone. He's, he's had a lot of bad injuries, Graham Dorans, and, and it's it's taking its toll. In my opinion, they shouldn't have signed Graham Dorns, and uh, I could see the writing in the wall. You know, when they signed him, that this guy, you know, everybody thought this guy was going to, you know, win games on his own, um, and you know, it can do that with certain teams in the, in the Scottish Premier League. But when it, at the top end of the table, with it, in the business end of the of the league, you know, he's going to struggle. And you you move to others of the part like like Candice and Jamie Murphy, again the two players, you know, done have a great game today. Um, limited players in my opinion and then you get Josh Windus um, Jason Holt um, guys that are you know they're, they're not great players let's be, be honest and then you know Jason Cummins through the middle um, asked to, to hold the ball up and, and combat guys like Dedrick Boyata who tower above I mean Jason Holt uh, sorry Jason Cummins is probably about 5 foot 8 he's painfully lacking in that sharpness because he's He's rusty, and I think the guy's low in confidence. You could see with some of the shots he was taking, he wasn't really connecting with it. And I think it's just um, a combination of things, Ross. And that's before you even get to the manager. Actually, I think, I think as well, what's important to think about is that, and it's linked to the manager as well, is that the decision making out on the park was was abysmal. You know, there were times when one thing that really sticks in my mind is a harmless ball coming over the top from from the Celtic defence, and. All that Tav has to do is Tav is favourite for the ball every day of the week is either bring it down and clear it or knock it back to the goalkeeper and he sort of tries to flick it over the Celtic striker and you think the pressure that we're under in that cauldron of Celtic Park and the the abuse that the players are going to be getting from from their fans why would you take risks Frankie is that something that needs to be coached into these players how to make better decisions on the park is it that we haven't got players who are you know, bright enough and have the right football and brain to make the right decision. And, you know, when you're playing against teams like Ross County or Partick Thistle and to a, to a degree a poor hearts team, you're not going to get found out. But if you don't have that sharp footballing intellect, you get found out against teams like Celtic. Is that decision-making an issue for us? I think it, it just comes down to the, the belief of the players. Um, I think Tav is one of the few guys in the team that, that does have that self-belief. I think he thinks he's a good player. Whether he is or not is, remains to be seen. I think since he's been made captain, I think he's actually been off form the last two or three months. I think um, I think before the, the, the turn of the year, he was, or certainly up until the end of February anyway, he was maybe I don't know, a good chance of being our player of the year. 
um, since since then he's, he's struggled a wee bit but in, in terms of the, the, the question you're asking um, about whether or not these guys are, are the decision makers good enough it's, it's, isn't it isn't it's it's really poor um, and it's continually poor um, it's been something that's annoyed me for long enough they didn't want to play the simple pass they shoot when they shouldn't shoot it's this, this type of thing it's it's not just young laddies that we're dealing with here. They're experienced guys, and yet they keep making the same mistakes. So it's only assume that, well, one, the manager isn't good enough, and two, they're not clever enough to to be managed properly. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up the manager there because I'm not sure if either of you guys saw the the interview that he had before the game. Marty had with Rangers TV, and he was kind of asked a question along the lines of, "What have you got to prove today? Do you have anything to prove to the fans?" And Marty said. I have nothing to prove. The players step out over the white line, and they've got to prove to themselves and prove to the fans that they deserve to be here and they deserve to wear the sh- to, to wear the shirt. And that struck me as kind of shirking responsibility a bit. And look, it's it's not my fault if the players don't perform. The the players have to take responsibility for that. Frankie, starting with yourself, how culpable is is Marty for today's result? Well, he's a manager, so <laughs> I mean, we went what seventy minutes before he made a change. And I mean, we were five 0 down after what fifty two minutes, and you, me, everybody else could see. Again, I'm sorry to single out Donuts, but Donuts was having an absolute nightmare. Bring on Doherty, bring on Rossiter, bring on somebody that's that's going to actually be able to keep the ball. And um, you, you've got Goss there as well. Keep the ball and, and get us a platform and a foothold in the game. And that's what we didn't have in the first half, or certainly out with maybe the 10-minute period before the Celtic scored their second and third goals. And so at that point, the manager, of course the manager has to be criticised. And this has been an ongoing thing. I've mentioned it here several times uh, since we started the podcast. It, it doesn't make subs. It doesn't change his team. So that, this is what happens. So when players do get injured, guys like Halliday come in, they come in they're, not, they're not fit. So I mean, you can see it today that we're a yard slower than than Celtic. Uh, was coming clean through, uh, coming every single time just because just because he couldn't live with the, the, the big guys' pace or reading the game or sharpness or whatever you want to to, to to call it. And I mean, it's the same thing. He brings when he brings on Morelos and takes off Windass and goes what four four two. We're five 0 down. I mean, the game's gone. What's the point in bringing on Morelos? He was always going to end up booked because he didn't have the temperament for these games, it seems. Uh, I thought Morelos did quite well when he came on for 10 or 15 minutes, but it was he was lucky not to be sent off. So that that's poor management. Um, it's, it was a, it's a really silly decision. Um, in terms of the interview that that, that, that Marty gave in, during the week and in the one pre-match uh, this weekend, clearly the, the guy's upset at the criticism he's received in recent weeks, and I can understand that to a certain extent. He's been hung up to dry by the Rangers board, so I think there's been an element in the guy trying to protect his reputation, and I can I can get that, I can sympathise with that. However, been beat four 0 by Celtic two weeks ago, and then exactly the same. But could have been eight 0 easily today. His reputation's gone, certainly in the eyes of the Rangers fans. I think you're right, and that his reputation's gone. Um, David, following on from that, should Marty step down, or is it would that be a futile gesture with three games to go? Oh. Put me in the spot there. Um, well, I, I said in the, the pod two weeks ago after the, the cup semi that he, that the board should show a bit of management and take him out the firing line. Um, obviously, they've saw fit not to do that. And the, you know, the Kenny Miller and, and Lee Wallace fallout deflected 
partially from from the result. Um, I don't think he'll he'll resign. I think that the the responsibility switching on to the likes of maybe Jimmy Nicol and, and Jonathan Johansson may well be counterproductive. I don't know how much of a different voice Jimmy Nicol would necessarily offer the players for the final three games, but uh, it's, it's a difficult one. Ross. This is all the, the overriding factor for me in all of this is it's all a lot of this has been compounded by self-inflicted errors, and it's difficult to see them uh, amassing an, uh, the necessary number of points to, to finish where they want to finish in the table. I mean, I, I don't think it's, it's beyond the realms of possibility that they could they could lose all three remaining games. I don't even want to think about that, to be honest, David. I, I, I could not imagine the state I would be in if we lost all three games. But Frankie mentioned a couple of minutes ago that things seemed to change a little bit and the structure certainly changed when Morelos was brought on. And a kind of a, a running feature on a few of these uh, episodes of the pod that we've had so far in the past few weeks has been this kind of Morelos versus Jason Cummings debate. Um, and it was something we spoke about last week as well, as we, we kind of said, it's it's likely that Martial play one up top against Celtic, which he did. Who would you who would you play? Would you play Morelos or would you play Cummings? Um, and I think we weren't all necessarily in agreement, but the kind of consensus was that we would probably go with Morelos up top. Obviously, Cummings last week he did himself no disservice and he got his goal and he did what he had to do against Hearts. But today, personally, I was questioning a lot of Cummings' movement. There were times when we needed a player in the box and he'd be out hugging the touchline. And, you know, you, you kind of were wondering what's he doing there. And, and actually, Frankie might have a point in that, you know, he was physically intimidated by Beata, who he, he could not beat once. Um, and for, you know, the vast majority of the game, I thought he was he was completely ineffective and, and wasn't making a mark on the game at all. So, Frankie, you know, you said there that, that things changed a wee bit when Morelos was brought on and at least the, the, the shape and the structure changed. What do you think today shows us about the, the Morelos versus Cummings debate going forward and going particularly into next season, assuming both of them will be here? Um, is there a potential partnership there or is it going to stick with, with one player playing over the other? And, and if so, did today give any clarity as to who should be in that starting striker spot? Um, clarity, difficult to know until we get through the summer. I mean, I, I, I'm not convinced um, Morelos will be here next season. I think he'll probably be sold to to realise some funds to to help build the, the rest of the team. Um, I'm a big fan of Morelos. I've said that a few times on here. He's, I think he's a really good player. I, I, I've no, not particularly enjoyed some of the criticism I've seen of him online the last few weeks, but with every passing game, his faults do become more evident. I mean, again today, I thought he did quite well when he came on and then he had a, a daft kick out on the touchline, maybe lucky just to be booted. Um, I mean, that's the way he plays. He plays on the edge, which is fine. Um, again, he had a, a decent chance. He got, it was a, a good ball until him. I forget who from, possibly Tav. Um, he chested it and took it well. To be fair, Boyata, who had a good game today, he um, he got back to meet the challenge. So, Morelos is, is still raw. It's easy to forget. He's not quite 22, so he's he's, he's still learning. Um, Cummins, I think, is pretty much the same age, if not a wee touch older. Um possibly a less top flight experience. I mean, he did play a few games when he was about 17 or 18 for Hibs in the, in the Premiership before they got relegated. And obviously he did very well down there in the season. Both the teams, both us and Hibs were down there. Um, but again, he, he looks very raw. They're two different types of player. Could they play together? I think so. Um, 
unfortunately, it depends what formation. Um, four four two isn't very fashionable nowadays, so it means one of them either playing just behind the other or one of the other one out wide. And I think in the Falkirk game in the Scottish Cup, Cummins played on the left hand side, and he did quite well. Scored a hat trick. Um, and to be fair, I think they 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 saw positions a few times as well, and um, it worked quite well. So to answer your question, yeah, I think I think they can play together. Um, I don't think it should be a case of one or the other, but certainly I, th- I think today I don't think Cummins was the the right choice. Um, credit to the guy who played well last week and probably deserved his chance. But I think if we were going to play him, then it should have been behind Morelos and instead of Windass. I completely agree. I think that would have been the, if not him behind Morelos, then Morelos behind him. One way or the other, I think Morelos does offer a lot kind of back to goal and and bring another players into play and, and he, he contributes a, a great deal outside the penalty area. Um but I think you're absolutely right that you know they, they could have been on there they could have been playing together. But David, you know, we've said before on the podcast that Cummins has been kind of crying out for a chance and what does Jason Cummins have to do to get in this team ahead of Alfredo Morelos? Well he's been given the biggest chance he could he could get today and for me he failed to take it. This is a player who for all intents and purposes he's kind of playing every game as an audition to try and win his contract here next season because otherwise he's back down sitting on the bench at Forest. Does today give you any direction as to whether we should or shouldn't be signing Jason Cummins permanently in the summer? I can see why you might um, be disappointed in his performance today, Ross. Um, personally, I would, assuming you could get um, Jason Cummins for the reported fee that's been agreed between Forest and, and ourselves at, at 600k, I would deal with that. Um, whether you know the, the speculation surrounding Wes Fodderingham uh, possibly going down to Forest might you know have an impact and on that fee, um, I, I'm not too sure. But yeah, I, I would I would go with him. I think he's I think he's got a bit of ability about him. He's 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 lacking physically. Yeah, I think you've seen that there today. He's lacking in sharpness. And dare I say it, as I mentioned there previously a couple of questions ago, he's, the boy's lacking in confidence. When Jason was at his peak playing for, for Hibs, certainly in a Scottish sense, um, some of the shots he, he, would, he would bend in and, and the goal, there, there, was, there was a bit of power behind his shooting. Some of the, the, the shots he was trying to hit today, you know, they were half-hearted squaffs. And that, that could be timing, there could be a multitude of reasons behind that. Um, but I think... Fundamentally, it's, a, it's confidence. Now, you, you mentioned there that he was drifting out to the left. Um, I think that may well have been something that was that was tactical because um, when he dropped out left, uh, you saw um, Josh Windus pushing further up towards the, the Celtic centre-halves. And then, obviously, when, when Rangers fell back in to their, their, their normal shape uh, to defend the ball in wide areas. He's, I think you've seen you know, Cummins going back up top and then Josh Windus coming back in at the middle of the park. Um, with regards to, to Morelis, um, yeah, as Stuart says, I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy that's, that's 21, coming on 22. He's played a long time without a break. Don't forget that the, the, the finished season um, has run into our pre-season. So he's, he's, he's played for, for a long time without a break. And, you know, whether people would say, you know, he's only 21, he should be able to handle it physically. He may not necessarily be physically tired, but he could be mentally tired. And, and that's leaving aside the fact that he's he's moved from, you know, what's, what's quite a big club with expectations in the Finnish league to, to obviously moving to us, where the, the expectation level's significantly higher. Um, so I think you can cut both guys a bit of slack and 
to try and just answer your question, yeah, I would go with Jason Collins, providing we can get him at price uh, and we can start to, you know, to board him uh, and not place too much um, too much responsibility in his young shoulders yet. I think you make some, make some valid points, some fair points. Listen, I think we've been rightly critical of a number of players in the side today and um, and we're fully justified in doing that because the the football that was served up to us as fans was not good enough and was really disappointing and a letdown. But David, I'll start with yourself. For you, did did any players get pass marks today? Was there any positives you could take from the game? Uh, no positives at all. The only positive you could take is it wasn't a record scoreline, which um, I, a couple of weeks ago in the pod, I, I'd, um, I, I thought was a, a distinct possibility. And if Celtic, if it wasn't for, for some poor finishing and a couple of reasonable saves from Jack Annick, I think it could have been a record scoreline today. So, um, yeah, the goalkeeper, um, he acquitted himself reasonably well. His kicking was pretty poor. Other guys in the team, uh, yeah, there, there was some without, you know, going through them one by one. There were some guys that looked as though they were playing, you know, maybe trying a wee bit more than, than others. Some are looked as if they're carrying injuries. Some don't look 100% fit. Um, then you, you mentioned Morelis, Stuart said there, I mean, a, a totally inexplicable kick out in the, in the touchline, which could have cost us um, if we went down to 10 men. Uh, no, there was no pass marks at all. It's, it's, it's a performance which... Sadly, these players, um, in my opinion, a lot of them don't deserve to wear the Rangers jersey. Scathing words there, David. Frankie, do you agree? Do you agree with David and think that no player gets pass marks today? Well, I think Arik has to get pass marks. I think um, he did pretty well. He started off, I was quite worried when he came out of his box and headed the ball away in the first what, maybe a few minutes. But after that, he seemed to settle down. His distribution was poor. I think he sliced the ball two or three times out the park in the first half. It was better after half time. But yeah, if it wasn't for him, I think it would certainly have been at least two or three more goals because he, he made a few good saves. I don't think they were world class or anything like that, but um, more sort of run of the mill. But he certainly did the job that was asked of him. I don't think he was at fault for any of the goals, um, so to speak. So I think um, if you had to give somebody a, a 7 out of 10, he'd be your man. Other than that, Jason Holt, I thought he did no too bad. I think he was one of the few players that seemed able to... Uh, had the energy and, and the discipline to, to try and get forward uh, at the right time but also try and do the defensive work um, I don't think he was helped by, by Windass doing his usual disappearing act and as I think we've already discussed Dorans enough in terms of Morelos um, we did we have lost out because he, he got boot so he's, he's got to um, miss the, the Hibs game and I think McCrory is as well so without very many defenders I mean Alves seems to be unfit more than he's fit Cardozo can even make the bench today, which was or last week, which was a bit of a surprise. Um, Bates is back in training, but whether or not he's, he's, he's back fit in time for the Hibs game or is, wants to, to risk his, his ankle ahead of his move to Germany remains to be seen. So, yeah, there, there's, there's not very many positives to take out today, but Jack Arnick, I think, is, is one of the few guys that can hold his head high tonight. And there's nothing you can say that after losing five goals as a goalkeeper. Absolutely. I thought he was um, he was thrown into a very hostile environment, obviously, and, and it was not an easy task that was given to him. I like yourself that first minute when he comes out and heads the ball from outside his own his own penalty area and then boots it into the crowd to, to clear it was a heart and mouth moment. But uh, he made he made some 
decent saves, which compared to the rest of the performance looked good. But uh, Jason Holt as well, yeah, full of energy, full of running, showed a wee bit of fight compared to the rest of them. Um, it's a shame he kind of can't back that up with the, the ability and the quality to match. But um, look, I think I think we've we've covered it enough today. Was a humiliation today. Was an abysmal display. Um, and I'm sure, like me, you, you know, you guys want to want to move on as quickly as possible and, and try and put this one behind us. So moving on, moving away onto uh, more optimistic pastures. It looks like the search for the manager is is coming to a close, and the media seems to be pretty confident now that the deal is done, and Stephen Gerrard is going to be the next man in the dugout at Ibrox. Now, obviously, it's been a long, hard managerial search um, since since Kashinia left us back last year. And to go for a manager that has never managed before is certainly unexpected and, and didn't seem to be what a lot of the fans were looking for. And, and there seemed to be a, a, a bit of confusion to be kind and a bit of anger coming from some supporters when the name was was being so heavily linked. And then the, the rumours didn't go away because usually these things will be quashed pretty quickly if it's untrue. So F- Frankie, coming to you first, what was your initial gut reaction when you heard Steven Gerrard was in the frame? Um, I think excitement and fear, unfortunately. I, I, to, to be honest, I, it's it's really difficult to analyse. I mean, in terms of a profile, you didn't get much bigger than Steven Gerrard. He's been one of the best midfielders in the United Kingdom for certainly in a generation. Um, you ask any Liverpool fan or probably any fan of English football, and they'll, they'll name him and their the, the first 11 of, of the last 20, 30 years um, every day of the week. And so... In that respect, it's it's exciting. Um, the guy is clearly knowledgeable. He's clearly wanting to 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 go on and be a manager at the highest level. And if he can do that at Rangers, fantastic. But he has absolutely no experience. And to go from promoting an under twenty manager as caretaker for the better part of six months to Liverpool's under eighteen manager is I, I find it bizarre. And it does give me the fear. It's a huge risk, and I, I, I just don't know if we can afford it. And um, I mean, I did run a poll on our on our main site, and we did one in the forum as well, and they were pretty similar in that. I, I think most fans are, are undecided on it. Um, so it's it is a huge risk. It's a gamble. Um, I can see why they've taken it. I can I can understand the comparisons made with Sunas arriving in 1986. I don't think they're completely valid. I think the the context is completely different. Um has it got to pay off? Only time will tell, but I can't say I'm overly enthused. But I, I think um it, it looks like it's going to happen now for sure. But is it not, you know, you, you say we've gone with an under twenties manager for six months and now we've gone to an under eighteens manager. Is it not a little bit disingenuous or a bit unfair to compare Graham Murty and Stephen Gerrard, you know, one of whom captained England to World Cups and won, what was it, over 110 caps for his country, captained his sides pretty much single-handedly to one of the most memorable Champions League wins in the history of the competition, played at the highest level in England and, and across Europe for a number of years, and the other guy played for Reading for a bit. You know, is it? I know what you're saying about the fact that he's not been a manager, but surely the, the guy's a winner, and, and to compare... A, him just as a as a youth coach like Graham Murty is that not a, a little bit unfair? No, no, you're right. It's I mean nobody can argue. 
about the guy's CV. It's fantastic. I mean, I think it'd be a wee bit unfair. Marty, Marty never won the, the Champions League or, or a huge amount of trophies, but he had a decent career um, in the English divisions and he, he played several times for Scotland as well. So he's, he's not exactly an experienced himself. So, um, yeah, listen, Gerard is a, a great name and and to say I'm not excited is I would be lying, honestly. And I think any Rangers fan, as much as we're maybe worried about it, we're all excited. And as long as the process is followed properly in that the guy's given money to spend and we're not throwing money at Mexican alcoholics, then maybe it'll work. But I, I don't think you can blame anybody for having doubts either, Russ. David, how about yourself? What were your uh, your immediate reactions when you heard that, that Gerard was, was going to be the man? Initially, Ross, um, disbelief. I didn't believe it for a second. I just thought it was a it was a name. And then obviously when when I started hearing things, you know, I, I, you know, like Frankie's saying there, you can't help but get excited. Stephen Gerrard's a big name in world football. Um but uh, this smacks of the, the board um being at Vegas and uh, sitting at a a craps table and going all in whilst they've got their last chance saloon bourbon up in the bar. I mean, they're hanging their reputations on the, their experience of uh, albeit a playing legend. Um, I think a lot of his, his um, how successful he might be will hinge on who he takes with him. Now, the, the speculation has been that he's going to take Gary McAllister as a number two and the guy that's been assisting him and the other pool under 18 is Tom Culshaw. Um, obviously, uh, he's a teammate of Gary McAllister's during the, the Gerard Tillier uh, years. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I hope that the he's well guided. I think the, the guy himself, um, as a winner, as Stuart was saying there, uh, I think that counts for a lot. Um, I went to the under-20s game at Ibrooks when, unfortunately, Aidan Wilson gave a penalty away in the first couple of minutes and Liverpool ran out 4-1. And the big thing that that, that that struck me from a footballing perspective was that he was very um, he was very observant, Stephen. Um, but when, when the Liverpool players um, slowed their tempo down a wee bit, one of the, the, the words that he used, and, and, and he did shout at them, you know, he, 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 was, he was audible amongst the, you know, the two enclosures uh, in the main stands and the word he was using was quicker and that um, this season is, is so evident in what Rangers do um, uh, in, a, in a playing style how they, they knock the ball about it's it's very laboured it's very slow and I'd like to think you know with the best ball in the world that, that somebody like Stephen Gerrard and Gary McAllister for that matter would come in and would make you know make the play you know, far quicker. Um, by all accounts, if if he if he comes and it's still a it's still an if just now, he's not been confirmed. Um, he's going to bring a, a fitness fanatic. In fact, um, Charlie Adams, um, being on his Twitter feed, saying that you know he takes fitness very very seriously and he will get the players fit. Now, obviously, at the start of the season, Michael Hallam went on record and saying you know I don't I don't feel fit playing under Pedro Casinha. There's obviously been a hangover with that, and I think that you know. Players will get sharper, but again, to get you know quality um, out of players, you need that quality to be there. There's only so much that a, that a coach, stroke manager can can eke out of players. 
Um, I'd like to think that, that, that Stevie would, would, um, would instill a, a confidence and belief in these players and, and that you might see a different side to some of the players that I said maybe don't deserve to wear the jersey. But um, I would strongly imagine that if he does um, uh, accept the job and is appointed, you know, whether it be this, in the next few days or the, the next couple of weeks, that there'll be a clear out. Uh, and as Stuart said, they're obviously um, they might need to pay off guys like Carlos Pena um, to you know give Stevie a, a fighting chance. But again, until until Stevie's announced, then it's basically it's all speculation, isn't it? It is, of course, and actually it's, it's worth us pointing out now that like we mentioned it earlier, we're recording this on, on Sunday night and there's every chance that by the time um, it's broadcast and you guys are listening to it, there's every chance that, that Mr Gerrard is sat up in the Blue Room or is uh, he's, he's signed the contract and it's a done deal and it's all been announced. Of course, it could be Alex Neil. who knows? Um, I think what this, this whole episode has, has told us is that the manager market at the moment is not particularly competitive. And it, it, I think the fact that Gerard is looks by all accounts that he's, he's going to be the man. I think that tells us a lot about not necessarily the calibre of manager that we can attract, but the calibre of manager that's actually available right now, just because of circumstance. There's a lot of talk about how we should go for Frank De Boer, for example. Um, Pete on the podcast last week was really good. And he told us about some reports coming out of the Netherlands Um saying that Frank de Boer, you know, was not interested in the job and has, has knocked it back and, and rebuffed any approach. I think reports of Giovanni van Bronckhorst, who's just won another league title over at Feyenoord, were pie in the sky and, and would never happen. So really, who are we left with? We're left with, like I say, Alex Neil, or maybe Neil Warnock if he doesn't get Cardiff promoted. So, Frankie, when you see that these these are the names that are in the frame, is your Alex Neils or your Neil Warnocks, maybe your Steve Clarks. Can you blame the board for wanting to take a punt on someone more exciting? Or would you personally have, have plumped for someone who's not necessarily had experience of winning, but has at least had experience of managing a group of players? That's, that's a good question. I think on the forum, actually, in the last couple of weeks, we've had a similar discussion in terms of the way we play. Um, I think a lot of the guys in the forum were looking for a bit, more, a bit of a more pragmatic manager in the moldy Walter Smith. Unfortunately, there isn't very many Walters going about. So, I think when, when we discuss pragmatism, you're, then it, it does take you back to guys like Warnock and, and Alex Neil, both of whom they're certainly running the most glamorous in names, but they've done quite well in their career so far. So, yeah, it's it's hard. Do you go for that unglamorous nature that maybe won't inspire very many fans, or do you go for the big name who who can do that? And and I mean, there's no doubt a lot of supporters will get behind Gerard, but I think I think the point we have to make here and have to emphasise is, is the process. Are we now starting again here? Are we going to get rid of 15 players and are we to give Gerard two or three years to bring his guys in and challenge Celtic? Or are we going to give him £20 million tomorrow? Um, I mean, I think there's been some rumours about investment. Um, I'm not exactly sure where that's going to come from, how true these are. Um, these tend to always come out after defeats such as today. Um, but as I say, the, the process is key. I mean, I think both you guys have mentioned Gerard's a winner, and I think that's something we definitely need in the dressing room. There's no doubt about that. I mean, today we lost that game and we lost it big, and there's too many losers in that dressing room, so we need somebody to turn it around. Gerard may, might well be that man. Um, Alex Neil didn't have the most glamorous 
career. However, he's done well as a manager. So there's there's doubts either way, but I I don't think that should excuse the board. I mean, I was quite strong in my criticism the other week there. Um, I think to not have somebody in place by now, I, I really think it's appalling. I mean, we've, we've known the situation with Pedro arguably since last June when we got knocked out by Progress. So we're, we're almost a year down the line. I, I don't think that the excuse washes that there's not very many good managers out there. There is. We need to find it. It's their responsibility to find one. It's their responsibility to back them properly. And in terms of that, do we make changes at boardroom level as well? Is Stuart Robertson the right person? What about Andrew Dixon um, and the administrative side? Um, I, th- I think that the Carlos Peña signings um, a good example of that. I think I cannot believe that we signed that guy. I really don't. It's it's incredible the amount of money they were wasted on, and somebody should be paying for that with a job. I think it's a really really valid point about how how the clubs run on the football and business side, um, and I would be personally amazed if there's not questions asked at, at director level about you know how tenable is the position of Stuart Robertson in particular um, and and Andrew Dixon's you know head of football administration or whatever his title is I think you know <laughs> these are really valid concerns shared by the vast vast majority of the support um, and I'm sure the guys on the board know that know how we're feeling and know that it's not acceptable to to wait this long to get a permanent manager in place because when has that ever been the case at any other club? So it's not it's not acceptable, and and the fans shouldn't lie down and and say you know this is fine because they are legitimate and genuine questions that that need to be asked. And and I think someone will be paying with his job. I think heads will roll because there have been too many instances of of things going wrong whether it's players that need to be suspended or alcoholic Mexicans that need to be punted back to Mexico because we, we can't look after them. Um, it's all wasting money. It's all wasting time and it's wasting PR, um, which leads us actually nicely onto my next question, which I'm going to pose to you, David, is, is about things like PR. And, and to circle back to Steven Gerrard, you know, I, I, for me, a big part of this appointment is the fact that the club can kind of benefit from this in a in a PR capacity and in a brand capacity, if you know what I mean. Do you think that, that this appointment could have one eye on that kind of thing? We know that the board is is kind of flooded with businessmen and business guys rather than football guys. So have they got one eye on the fact that the world will be looking at this and, and we can increase the, the brand awareness globally? Definitely, Ross. Definitely. They, 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 Stephen Gerrard, I mean, they, they don't come much bigger uh, in terms of a footballing personality in Great Britain, so uh, and that can extend, you know, worldwide. He's a he's a phenomenal player in his day, um, and he is a marketable commodity. If they manage to get his signature on a contract, I'm of no doubt that he will be a very viable bargaining chip when it comes to attracting inward investment from external parties. However, the flip side of that is. Let's say he's afforded a reasonable war chest um, to make a, a serious go at, at, at winning the title. Not just competing with Celtic, actually winning the title because that's basically what he's been charged with. Now, the, now whether that's the expectation is that he's going to be, you know, he'll get a season to have get his feet under the table, make some signings and it'll be gradually and make a real push for it in two seasons' time. Remains to be seen. Or whether the, the guy himself wants to, you know, embrace that pressure because let's 
face it. The boy's love with pressure all his, his, his professional days. Um, he's been a Liverpool captain since he was, what, 21? Uh, he's been England captain, so he's lived with a lot of expectations during his professional career. So, um, yeah, the, 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 the board have obviously, you know, if you know, they've obviously come out and, and publicly stated that they're, they're talking to him. Um, and I think that they're obviously trying to steal some of the, the, the limelight that's been sadly lacking from, from Rangers uh, for a significant period of time. And there's no doubt that he will. Um, shine a spotlight back in the football club. He'll raise the profile of the the league, um, certainly in a, in a British context and you know in Europe, um, because he's he's got that stature in the game. And judging by the reaction in the, the media, he's obviously um, certain certain factions within the footballing world a bit worried, um, given the, the reaction to his name being mentioned, um, given the. The Celtic manager, how his response when he was asked about him on Friday there, that um, maybe Brendan's not fancying being uh, demoted to to not being the the big noise in the, in the Scottish league, but he's imminent arrival if, and I stress the word if he becomes the manager. So, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that they, they will bring uh, benefits. You now, it, it possibly might be in negotiations with regards to you know image rights and and what have you. So. That will come out in the wash if he, do, if he is appointed. And, but uh, I think it can only be a good thing. I think the, the support are dying to get behind someone that's that can genuinely you know, uh, evoke excitement, genuine excitement. Uh, I mean, if he was to become the Rangers manager, it would be the biggest news in Scottish football since Paul Gascoigne signed by none. So yeah, it's, if, I, I'll put some faith in him. If he, if he gets Gary McAllister in and they get a good network round about him, and they go off to a flyer, and the, the board genuinely back them uh, with serious money. Whether that's you know putting their hands in their own pockets collectively, or whether they, they, they entice external investors to to furnish them with, with the requisite amount of funds, then I think it, it could well be a a successful venture. Yeah, look, I think you make a really good point about how it's it is exciting, and for me, it's exciting because it might well fail. It might fail, but. I'm a hell of a lot more excited about Steven Gerrard than I am about Derek McInnes, that's for sure. I certainly didn't feel this excited. And and yeah, this afraid and it's going to be a, a hell of a ride, at least because there will be a spotlight on the club again. I hate seeing Brendan Rodgers go on like Soccer AM or go on Talk Sport. And we've not had that for too long now because we are a big club up in Scotland. We are uh, a footballing institution in Great Britain and we should have that limelight. But because we've been kicked when we're down and we've had everyone from the football to the media to the politicians trying to kill off the club we've we've suffered for that of course we have and the brand suffered and the PR suffered so to get back in the limelight and, and back being seen as a big club in Britain is really important I think it's a it's a good step towards doing that but something that would really help along those lines is a compliant media and kind of the last point that I want to raise on this and, and Frankie I'll ask you first is you know the the reaction that we've seen to the and and David's right to keep pointing out this hasn't been announced yet and we have previous for assuming that a manager is is job done and then it all falls through so we should be we should have a word of caution there but assuming this is a done deal the Scottish media and the Scottish football media and Scottish football personalities have been absolutely scathing of Gerard making this decision to come up to us of the boards making the decision to go for Gerard. 
And yet the the noises coming from England and from the English media and from people that I've worked with him are very different and are saying how exciting and brave and bold it is and it's a good step for him to make his first move into into management. Frankie, did you expect anything less from the media? No, definitely not. I mean, the contrast is fairly interesting. Um, I mean, the English media always bump up their own, always do. I had every major championships to do it and they always come back down to earth with a bump, usually after three group stage games. But So they can't always take what they say with any great excitement either. Um, I mean, it wasn't a surprise to see Tom English and Graham Spears uh, be negative. There was several other people were in the same vein. I think some of the criticism was fair enough. I mean, I think I've, I've shared it as well on here this evening. So um, I, I think we've got to be careful not to ignore that criticism and try and be constructive, as I say. I mean, Gerard, there's no doubt he brings a big PR. He's a big name. I think that the discussion in the English media over the weekend shows just how big. Um, so I, I think the problem we've got is, do we have the right people in place to manage that? Uh, I'm not so sure about that either, unfortunately, without trying to be overly negative here. At the end of the day, the decision seems to be made. Um, I think it seems 90% likely that the guy's going to be in charge. Um, I think you're trying your best, Ross, and David's made some good comments as well. I think um, I think it's now important to get behind the guy um, and try and be positive. And we can only hope the board uh, supply him with the correct finance to do that. Um, I think what we also need is, is clarity. Um, are, are we too fickle to expect... To win the league next year, are we are we capable as fans? Are we mature enough as fans to say, let's give it two years, let's give it three years? I'm not sure. Um, it's, it's got, so Gerard is going to have to hit the ground running, and um, we can only hope he, he does that. Um, the the start of June when we have our Europe Europa Cup games. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, but you know the football never seems to stop, does it? Especially with us going in at the first stage of the Europa League qualifiers. But listen, I think that's um, I think that that wraps it up really nicely, and, and it's probably time for us all to to close the book on a particularly tough weekend at Rangers after a, a disappointing disappointing loss again against Celtic, and, and hopefully we can look forward with a little bit of optimism to some good news coming out of Ibrox this week. So I think that's going to wrap it up for us here at the Jersey Net Podcast. All that's left for me to say is thanks to our two guests this evening. We've had Stuart Franklin and David Fraser, and also a huge thank you to Graham, our audio engineer. If you've enjoyed the show, um, please feel free to share it on all the usual forums. Um, obviously, we're quite a new podcast. We'd appreciate that. And if you'd like to find out any more Rangers information or friendly Rangers discussion, please do check out the Jersey Net forum at www.jersnet.co.uk. Really quickly, I also just want to give a, a quick shout out to a fellow Blue Nose pod, if you're anything like us, you'll be crying out for as much Rangers content as you can get. So if you've not done so already, definitely go and check out our friends over at We Welcome the Chase podcast. They're always looking at things from a slightly different angle and they've put together a really slick and enjoyable show. So we definitely recommend that you download that and, and have a listen. As always, we'll be back next week when we'll be dissecting the Rangers versus Kilmarnock clash and hopefully everyone will be feeling a little bit more upbeat. Until then, thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>